she can get near her, her other grandparents. And <sighs> Okay, Scotty, let me have my stuff, please. And take Felicia. I mean, take Felicia. That's Felicia. Let me, let me brag. Can I brag just a minute? Somebody, I just need one person to say yes. Michael and Felicia Cole, that's Pastor Cole from this point forward. He's pastored in New York, and I've always honored pastors in this church. In New York, we're there. We're there. Michael was an engineer with uh, IBM, and um, Miss Felicia sitting down there, uh, just a little bit of, to know about her. She's got more degrees than a th- thermometer, <clears throat> and big ones. She, is, um, she taught biology in high school, not only in English, but she taught biology in Spanish. I don't know how you decode that. But she did, and she's fluent in about six languages. And these two are treasures to our church, if you haven't found that out already. Amen? And we want you to know how much we love you all. I want to publicly tell you that. And I don't know, Ruth and I constantly say, I love them more. And she says, no, I do. And, but we sure do love you and appreciate you so much. I'm going to get some of my several pair of glasses out down here. Are you ready for the word? I've already had the word this morning. Oh, praise God. Now tonight, Pastor Benaiah is going to be speaking. We have Revivus tonight. And folks, listen to me. Get into this, and God will get into you. And it's going to be a blessing to you. But be part of this, whatever you are, at 6 p.m. tonight. I want to talk to you about an old, old true story that occurred an event that occurred in 2 Kings chapter 7. And I'm reading from the NIV. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we're seeing a story of a, king, of a king of Israel who's not named in Scripture, but history tells us that he was, and you know there's no J's in Hebrew, and I'll teach you my language as we go, Yahoram. It would be how you would say Joharam, as, uh, that people would pronounce Joram, and he was the king of Israel, though unnamed. And he was being attacked and surrounded by an enemy that just a few chapters back, Israel had shown great mercy to. And that was the kingdom of Aram or Aram, and also called Syria, the same place. If you'll remember when Elisha went to a a particular city, the king of Aram or Syria surrounded the city. And they were going to take him captive because this prophet was telling what was going on in his personal life and every plan they had. There was no battle plans they had. And they surrounded the city. And the the servant of Elisha comes out to have coffee early in the morning. And he looks out and he sees nothing but enemy all the way around him. And he panics, and he goes to Elisha, and he goes, you don't understand what's going on. They've come just for you. These are all there just for you. I don't know if you've ever felt like Satan sent every demon in hell just for you before. If you have, say amen. I'm telling you, we've all been to that place where we think we're surrounded. And when the servant saw what was going on, here comes Elisha the prophet. Now, this is a true story. This isn't a fable. It's not a parable. This happened. Just like you're sitting in your chair. This happened. He stands there, and he can see nothing but bad all the way around him. And go from there, and, 
And the prophet says, here's the problem. You're looking through the eyes of man, but I'm looking through the eyes of God. And if there's anything I want to do today is ask God to transfer your vision from the eyes that you have, from the eyes of man, to the eyes of God and see the reality of what's really going on. The enemy constantly tries to paint a picture to you of what he wants you to see. He tries to paint a picture of what he wants you to know. But when we find out the truth about the enemy, it completely disarms him. It removes his ability. It removes his authority and power on our life. And we have to ask God, God, give me the eyes. Give me the vision of Jesus in my heart. If you believe that, say amen. When the prophet came out, and he saw his servant panicking. He said, hold on just a second. There's something you're not seeing that you need to see. And he said, what? He said, now look up into the sky. Look into the heavens. And God opened the eyes of his servants. And there were multitudes of multitudes, maybe millions of angels of God surrounding this place. And they were on fire. They were, they were there to do battle. And the prophet made a very strong statement. He said, always remember this. There's always more for us than those that are against us. And I'm going to tell you this this morning, and I want you to listen to me. I don't know what you're going through, but I know God gave me this message. For you online and for you right now, I know you're going through things. Or the Lord would have given me something else. But what he did bring me here today to tell you was this. There's more on our side than there is on the enemy's side. And there's a greater power on our side than there is on the enemy's side. And it came across and it came about from what Nottingham was singing this morning. The cross of Jesus Christ. The power of his blood. The resurrection of his glorious who he is. And now seated at the right hand of the Father. He is there to make intercession for you. He's just got to get your eyes fixed where you see the truth. The true reality of the struggles that you're going through right now. So here's this great nation of Israel. And all of a sudden they realized the second time, now let me just tell you, the first time when they were surrounded, do you know what Israel did? Didn't kill all the enemy, invited them in for dinner. They did. They had a feast. And they, and they struck them with blindness. And, and here's all these bad guys now. They've dropped their weapons and they lead them all in. They set them down at a tremendous table and and. And then God opens their eyes, and they're, they're surrounded now by the nation of Israel. They have no enemies, and, and, and the food set for them. It's a total, this shouldn't be, shocked them so bad. They said, boys, go ahead and eat, and then leave. And so they ate and left. And this is the way they pay them back. A few years later, a different king, Ben-Haddon, comes, and now they're going to come back against Israel. You know, I want to tell you something about the devil. He never learns his lesson. He has never won a battle with Jesus. <clears throat> never. He's never in any way won a battle with God, but he never learns his lesson. He keeps coming back. The difference is he comes back in defeat and we come back in victory. So here's the second time now in 2 Kings chapter 7. And I'm reading from the NIV. 
And Elisha said, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow, a sea. Now that's seven quarts. That's pretty good size something. A sea of flour will sell for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Let me set the setting here. They had been surrounded in Samaria, which was the capital at that particular time, the city. And they had been surrounded once again by the enemy to the point that there was a drought and there was starvation going on inside the city walls. I mean, it was pitiful. It got down to almost cannibalism. It it was crazy what they were trying to eat to survive. And here's a guy that stands up and says, you're surrounded by the enemy. He's cut off every source of help you have, every bit of help you have. He's isolated you, and then he's going to annihilate you. And that's always the plan of the enemy. It's always his, his way. He surrounds you. He isolates you. <clears throat> he makes you think there's no help for you. And then he starves you to the point of death. I'm going to tell you this. There's a remedy for the enemy. Amen? <clears throat> so here they are in this situation. And this prophet gets up and says something positive to them. And you want to say, well, I don't know. Anything you can think of, I guess. Because it's crazy. Are you saying tomorrow that I can get seven quarts of flour for a quarter? A shekels in Israel, when I was there, it takes four shekels to be a dollar. So I'm just rounding it off. And you're saying that I can get all this wheat and we're starving to death? He said, yeah, that's, that's a word from God. I'm going to tell you, I want you to listen to me about this if you don't hear anything else. God can and will turn your day around in 24 hours like you can never believe it. He will change everything about your existence in a 24-hour period. He doesn't need time. He doesn't have to plan. He's omniscient. And everything you think you know, everything you believe, that you, that, that every area of logic that you try to put to this will be broken and removed because God is God and he works on his own time frame in his own way in his own uniqueness and his own faithfulness and he can turn and will turn your day around in a matter of a sunset so the people of God are surrounded and they're hearing this word from Elisha the officer of whom on whose arm the king was leaning on, verse 2, said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, the heavens, this could this happen? He questioned it. Elisha comes back to him and says, You'll see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to eat any of it. He said this, Any time that God sends a word, and he's sending a word to you right now, a word that sounds Could it be? Is it possible? Can God do this? There's always going to be a voice of doubt somewhere. This was the voice of doubt. And it's crazy. Here's a prophet, and everyone knows Elisha's a prophet. They know that he was the understudy for Elijah. 
They know the glory and the, and the power and the supernatural ability of this man. And he gives them a prophecy straight from God. And one little weasel sitting at a gate by the city can cause people to go into panic. One little voice of doubt. Listen to me, folks. You've got to squeeze out the voice of doubt as a child of God. And it's not easy. Because it says you can't, it won't happen, this isn't. All the things that we fight internally in us. I, I'm, not, I'm just a very real pastor. I want to tell you there's been times where I said, God, I don't think you can do this. And then I catch myself. And God, I don't know if this is going to happen. God, are you going? Do you care? Have you ever been to the point where you say, God, I, I didn't, I'm here. If you haven't, you have a mental problem. My wife's a licensed professional counselor, and she can help you. Of course, it's human nature. But the truth is, we have to sometimes get down to the base of what we are and who we are to see the glory of the God we serve. <clears throat> Doubt came. And in the middle of all of this, there's four guys sitting at the gate. And they're, they're lepers. And that means they're outcasts. They cannot come into the full part of the city. Anytime they're around, they have to cry, unclean, unclean. And no one can get around them because they're contagious. <clears throat> they're alone. And if you want to know a little bit of of rabbinic history on these. There's, there's a tradition when you're sitting about around a Jewish campfire that says the rabbis say that, that, the, that those four men was Gehazi, the prophet of Elisha that, that sold out to Naaman and his three sons because they were cursed. And here they are sitting. I had a place with God. I had a position. I was serving God. And I failed God. And here I am now. I'm a leper sitting at the gate. Nobody wants to be around me. Nobody wants to have anything to do with me. I'm alone. And I'm going to be alone and die the rest of my life. I'm going to tell you something about the God you serve. The God you serve is a God of restoration. He's a God of healing. He's a God of second chances and third and fourth chances. He's a God that doesn't play. Play fair. He takes our sins and turns them around. He takes our failures and in his touch changes them into his glory. We serve a God that loves us so supremely that we can't even begin to comprehend that he's for you, not against you. And he loves you, but he likes you too. And here they are sitting. And these four men at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other the title of the message. Why stay here till, until we die? Why sit here until we die? We hear the voice of doubt, but we know the truth. We hear the prophecy of God, but we can't apply it to ourselves. We hear and know and believe, and it's so easy to believe for somebody else. I can pray for you, but it's hard to pray for myself. David prayed for himself. He got in touch, such a, a tither one time, and he had to write with all of his situations of the Philistines. He began to pray 
to God for himself. I need your touch. Where is the joy I've had? Where's the peace I've had? Where's the the understanding of you? It's gone. God, help me. And I'm going to tell you something. When there ain't nobody else around you, it's you and the Holy Spirit. And the two of you can pray good. And God answers you. There's times you just have to give yourself to God because there's nobody else. These four guys were saying, why should we sit here till we die? What's the benefit of that? And then they said this, if we go, if we go into the city, there's famine there. There's no help from the government. If there's not an amen there, folks. Are you against our government? No. Are, are you kidding me? There's my family flag and my United States flag and my Christian flag. No, not against the government. I love America. I love our government, but right now we need some help. There was no help in Israel from the government. If we go into the city, the famine's there. We're all in this and we'll die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's do something. Let's do something different. Let's do something that's out of the box. Let's go to the camp of the enemy. Now listen to me. I'm not one of those that tell you to march into hell and beat the devil up because you'll get slaughtered if you do. He's supernatural. But when you go, when you confront the thing that's challenging you in the name of Jesus, it's a different story. When you go under the blood veil of Jesus Christ, it's a different story. When you stand up and say, I'm not going to stay where I'm at. I'm not going to stay here and wither up and die. I, can't, I don't have any help from anyone else. I, you may not have family help. The government can't help me. Money can't buy me out right now. All I know is I need help that comes from a source greater than me. And up to that point, I have nothing. God many times will put you in a place of zero to make you a hero. I'm telling you, he will. Here's four men. They said, let's just do something different. Let's go face the enemy. I want to tell you something. There's something about facing the enemy with God that's different than just sitting until they beat you up and spit you out. I love the story of David. I've read it. I think he's my great, 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 well, I haven't got time, grandfather. But I'm telling you this. That when David was 14 years old and that nine foot tall giant came and he screamed blasphemies toward the nation of Israel. David comes to deliver cheese and bread to his brothers and some for Saul who's this tall above everyone else. He, he does all right when they're saying Israel but when he started blaspheming God it caught the voice of a shepherd boy. A nobody. A zero. And here he is. He said, oh, what's this voice I hear on this other side of the valley of Elam? What is that? And he's looked at and there's this man, nine foot tall. He's taller than anything around. And he said, he screams every day for 40 days. We've been standing here listening to this. 40 days he blasphemes. And all of a sudden, Goliath lets out a, an oath against Israel. And then he lets out an oath against Jehovah. And when he did, David said, okay, that's the, that's the draw point there. You can talk about me. 
You can criticize me. You can persecute me. But when you start talking about Jesus, you're in a different ballgame. Then I'm going to spiritually stand up. Amen? And in the stories, you know the story goes, he ended up at 14 years old, a shepherd boy with a bag of stones, five stones. He pulls out of a, a, a spring at the bottom. He, he, he puts one in his sling because he knew how to use that sling. And he starts running. He starts running toward the enemy. These four lepers started walking into the camp of the Syrians. What a ludicrous thing to think about. Going to the very face of death that had surrounded Samaria. They're walking toward the enemy's camp. This young man's running down this valley up toward this great giant that's standing there. And he's crying these words, you come against me with a sword and with a shield and with a lance, but I'm coming against you in the power of the name of Jehovah. And my friends, you've still got that strength and power in you that you can whirl the power of the rock, Christ Jesus, at the enemy and run toward the enemy and say, you uncircumcised Philistine. He was saying, you're out of covenant with God and I will not listen to any voice out of covenant with God. I'll only listen to the voice of God. And you know the story and I know the story. It's a true story. He slew that nine foot tall giant and when he did something happened over the nation. All of those two, three hundred thousand young men, 18, 19 years old, standing shoulder to shoulder as they lined up and faced the Philistines for 40 days. All of a sudden one of them said, if he can do this, I can do it. There's something about the anointing. Let me tell you something. I found this out. Dr. Tim Todd was here one Sunday morning. Dr. Gorman was preaching. And Angie was standing right over there. And I was standing by her. <clears throat> and Angie Todd got down on her knees and began to worship. <clears throat> and I've seen people do that before, but this is different. The power of the Holy Spirit was strong in this house. And as she began to worship, all of a sudden the breeze of the Holy Spirit came over me. And I began to worship. And as I began to worship, I saw the Holy Spirit, the, the, the anointing spread across this room. I didn't physically see it, but I sensed it. It spread across this room. And this is what God spoke to me very clearly. He said, the anointing is contagious. It's contagious. When somebody says, I'm going to run toward the enemy. When one says, I'm not going to let an enemy destroy. Defeat me that's never defeated the cross, never defeated Jesus Christ, and I'm a child, an heir, a soul tie of God himself by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I won't be the first, fat, first one to fall to a lying enemy. And he runs toward him. When that happens, all of a sudden the anointing begins to spread. And as the anointing begins to spread, all of Israel begins to get a, an understanding that who God is and who the Philistines are. And they go after them and they annihilate them. All for day, It takes three days to pick up the weaponry of those enemies because one kid said, I'm going to run toward the enemy. I'm telling you, when lepers say, I'm going to go to the enemy's camp, when someone that has nothing else but God, but Jesus, Jesus in their lives. That's the power you need and that will work to destroy the enemy. <clears throat> so here they go. 
What do you think is going to happen? Don't try to even imagine. Just keep walking. They come to the camp of Syria. And they're going, they don't have any outpost. That's odd. They get to the gate. There's no gate keepers. They're surrounding. They built their little fortress there. They walk into the camp and look around and there's nobody there. The, the horses are tied and tethered. It's about dusk. So they're cooking their, their meal for the night. And they start looking and there's no one to be seen. This happened. This happened. These four lepers, they come walking in. Now they're, they're, they're starving to death. They're in the middle of a drought. Not only are they in the middle of a drought, there's no food, there's no water, there's nothing. And one of them goes, I think, in my case, I think that's fried chicken. I think that's chicken and My mother's from Alabama. I think that's chicken and dumplings and cornbread, I'm pretty sure. And they opened up the tent, and there's nobody there but the table set. I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy. Woo! Do you know when David wrote that? David wrote the 23rd Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I I shall not. I don't have any want he can't meet. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he, He leads me, guides me, directs me, protects me, and keeps me. He, he, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. He's talking about a shepherd's cup. He's talking about a stone that's been hollowed out at a brook, and it fills up a pool of water in that that feeds the sheep. He said, my shepherd cup, thy supply is more than I can imagine, <clears throat> and it's constant, and it's not going to leave He's God to me. He follows me. He pursues me and blesses me, and he will all the days of my life. Let me tell you something about that. David didn't write that psalm sitting on a grassy hillside like many people would like to say with his sheep there. He wrote that psalm when he was standing in a city that he had just conquered called Jerusalem, and he just named it the city of David and named it Zion. Now he was the king after being chased by Saul all those years, being persecuted and almost killed on different times, but God preserved him. <clears throat> and he said, where's the ark? Where's, and well, it's in Abinadab's house. Go get it. And they go get the ark, and they're bringing it back finally in the right, in the right way, the way God wanted it. You see, there's a right way to bring the presence of God in the house. Not our way, not man's way, God's way. And he's standing and over there looking in Jerusalem. And I've stood there and I've looked across those hills around. And you see at an angle, at a distance, there's the outline, the silhouette of the Levites in their, 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 their shofars. And, and they're, they're blowing and they're carrying the ark and they're walking into the city. And David begins to reminisce. I want you to reminisce this morning. I want you not to think about what you need tomorrow. I want you to think about what God did yesterday. I want you to think about how he delivered you. I want you to think how he provided for you. I want you to think how he healed your body and restored you. I want you to think about your spiritual condition then and your spiritual condition now. I want you to think about the many, many things God did that you found out he did later. And David was doing all of that. 
He was watching this. And when he saw the ark coming into its rightful place and coming into the city of God, he began to say these words, The Lord has been my shepherd. I shall not. That's where he wrote it. He wrote it in the end of a battle and the beginning of a new era. And I'm telling you today, it's time for you and I to stand to our feet and scream to the top of our voice, The Lord has been my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He protects. He provides. He strengthens me. And even though the enemy tries to destroy me, he will not destroy me because of the power of the name of Jesus in our lives. These four, these four said, let's eat. Let me tell you something. There's nothing sweeter than food after a drought. No food, no water. They're eating whatever you like. They're having a time. They're they're taking all the gold. They just clean out one tent and they're all rich because of the plunder of the enemy. Listen to me. The enemy goes around to steal, kill, and destroy. Scripture say that? Somebody say, yeah. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So all the camps of the Syrians, they had the plunder of other nations and other people they'd conquered. But they made a mistake of picking on the nation of Israel. And there's a mistake by the Hamas today, I'm going to tell you. There's a mistake going on in Israel this morning. And I'm praying for my brothers and sisters there, my friends that are serving there, in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, that there's a mistake being realized by the enemy today because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <clears throat> they eat, they drink, they take a bunch of bounty, and they go hide it, and they're sitting go- there and going, Mom, this is wonderful. And one of them goes, yeah, it's wonderful for us, but what about our friends? What about the nation?" What about the situation of all of our family back there, even though we're outcasts? And they said, we have to go back and tell. We've got to spread the good news. That's another word for the gospel. We've got to tell what Jesus has done for us. We've got to share this miracle, even though they may look at us as an outcast, they'll hear our words So you don't have to prepare yourself. Wonder what people will think about me. Who cares? It's what you represent. It's what they're going to think about. So they go back. And they're going to share the good news. They go to the gatekeeper. Oh, that's always the guy to go to. He's the one that has entree. And he's standing there and they said, oh, gatekeeper. Now, I want you to understand we're four lepers. We're four unthinkable We're for outcasts. We're for nobody wants, but we've got some good news for you. I'm going to tell you this. I've shared the good news of Jesus Christ with everything from CEOs of $30 billion businesses sitting on a Gulf Stream next to him, and I've shared them at a creekside 
killing frogs and frying their legs over a campfire. I have shared Jesus because regardless of where I go, he fits. Regardless of who I'm talking with, he fits. Regardless of what I am, he fits. And it doesn't make a bit of difference who I am. It's who he is that changes everything in my life and gives me the courage and the strength and the power to say, in Jesus' name, I stand before you. They go back. They tell the city. The first voice that comes out is, oh, doubt. Somebody say, I hate doubt. Doubt is anti-Christ. Oh, but it's so normal. Normal? Well, then let's be abnormal. It's odd to to go to the enemy's camp, to run toward the enemy. You're not doing it in yourself. You're doing it through the authority of the cross of Jesus Christ. You're doing it through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you go forward. You walk forward. You move forward. And in your moving and walking forward, this is something that happens. Your first move of obedience, listen to me, your first step of obedience Triggers something in the heart of God. And he starts going before you. <clears throat> I'm going to try that one more time because your amens were pitiful. That was a really good play. Your first act of obedience triggers the heart of God. It's true. <clears throat> before you see the results, I'm going to walk out here. I'm going to step out here in obedience. And I'm going to trigger the heart and I'm not thinking that they're just thinking we're probably going to get killed maybe they'll give us one last meal they surrendered to everything they were and everything no other help and when they got there they found that that God I'm going to tell you something when you surrender in your first step of obedience God's already out there Jesus is already gone he's already taking care of things but you have to this is the thing. You have to move in obedience toward him without seeing anything, without trying to think anything, without trying to speculate. Just say, God, here's where I am. I'm not going to sit here and die. There's nobody. The government can't help me. Family can't help me. Nobody can help me. Nothing. I'm going to go, and I'm going to face the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you do, I can, I, I'll tell you on my life, for everything I live and stand for, Jesus has never failed. And he won't fail you. You won't be the first one that he fails. <clears throat> it triggers the heart of God when we act in obedience. And when we act on obedience, that's actually surrender. And there's nothing greater than surrender in the heart of God. Now, I know this. I know that God gave me this message. And I know there's people here today that need this message. Pastor, I don't have the courage to face the enemy that I'm facing. I understand that. I'm not preaching some foolishness I'm preaching the truth with human understanding we have these feelings we have these emotions God gave them to us but when we have an understanding to say God the way I see it it don't look good but how do you see it how do you see my future how do you see my tomorrow 
How do you see the circumstance I'm in right now? And I believe that you brought this man of God to me this morning, online or in this house, to tell me that I have already gone before you to prepare the way, but if you don't walk toward it, you'll never see it. <clears throat> you see that man at the gate by the king? He said, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm not going to, I don't believe it's possible. Even if God could, I don't believe he could in this time span. That's doubt. And when they found out the news that the, Samaria, that the Syria had actually fled and ran away, <clears throat> there was a riot of people that were hungry. Think about it. Starving. Thirsty. Hadn't had food. They were even eating donkey's heads and playing, paying fortunes for them. And, and, and they come running because there's the enemy right over there, but they're gone. And everything the enemy had is theirs. And they start running toward it. And what happened, true event, <clears throat> when they got to the city gate, oh, doubt standing up there going, oh, I think you should wait. And about 15 people hit him at one time. And the Bible says he was trampled to death. I'm going to tell you what you have to do. You've got to kill doubt. You've got to kill doubt. And what kills doubt? Positive thinking, baloney. Positive thinking is good. But let me tell you what kills doubt. When you make a step toward God. When you make a step toward Jesus. When you move toward your enemy. So whatever it is you're fighting this morning. Whatever online. You say, Pastor, I'm happy as a clam. Well, fold this up and stick it in your pocket because you're going to need it someday. There will be a day. When the enemy surrounds you, there'll be a day when with our eyes it looks impossible. There are days when we don't know what the future holds. In fact, we don't even know if we have a future. And all of a sudden, we begin to realize that when we said, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to continue in this situation of doubt and fear and unbelief. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do this. Even though I don't see anything, I'm moving toward Jesus Christ because he's faithful and he's resourceful and he's always been there and he redeemed my soul and I don't believe for one second that he's not a full, totally on-time God and I'm just going to walk toward him and let him show me Listen to me. I give you my word on my life. He will not disappoint you if you'll walk toward the enemy. <clears throat> Stand to your feet with me, please.